Hi, this is Thomas DePaulo. This is Dole. Hi, this is William Roy. This is Kevin. Hey, this is Melon Bread. Hey, this is Jake Cook, and welcome to episode 15 of the Green Box, Interesting Gradations of Failure. Got three topics for y'all tonight. First one is an exploration of the computer science skill, what it does and doesn't do in the context of Delta Green. The second topic is how to break into the stealth binary, in which we offer a few alternative ideas about approaching stealth in RPGs. Lastly, we talk about skill roles in general, and how to better facilitate the conversation between players and GMs. There is an issue I've been running into with the computer science skill, with, I guess, also SIGINT, and with computer science in general, where I'm not deeply knowledgeable, often, about what sorts of things that skill is acceptable to use for, and it's quite clear that my players aren't deeply knowledgeable either. And so we are constantly finding ourselves in these situations where the player feels the need, because this is what the character is designed to do, to say, hey, I'm going to hack this thing, or I'm going to subvert this thing, I'm going to get on the, you know, the Wi-Fi and shut off the power grid, I'm going to um, hack this, uh, you know, the, the electronically locked gate to the building or whatever. And I find myself in the situation of, on one hand, this is probably not something that you could actually do, you know, that's like a hardware gate or, you know, the building security camera is just connected to a VHS tape or whatever. So, you know, it may not be expressly realistic or whatever for the, the hacker to be able to do that. On the other hand, if you're constantly saying to the person who built the character for computer science, no, you can't computer science that object, what the hell are they good at? Are they good for? So how do you, I guess, allow that skill to be used in an interesting and novel way or other skills, because it's not just comp sci. It can be, you know, the craft skills around that. It can be SIGINT. But let's let's start with computer science. You let that be useful without going overboard, or you let that be realistic without making it useless. And I say realistic, but I guess it's more like, what is what is the intended use case? First of all, let's clear up a common misconception. The computer science skill is not the hacking skill. You're not playing Shadowrun. You're not playing Eclipse Phase. You're not playing Star Wars... You're not going to use computer science to slice into the security gate. You're not going to use it to, to hack into the mesh network and take down the power grid. Computer science is the study of computers, uh, architecture, software engineering, programming, that sort of thing. It is a useful skill. You can use it to do things. You cannot use it to pretend you're playing Shadowrun. It sounds like you have said two things that are contradictory because you just said it's not useless and then you said its only use is understanding something that I can't even recall to you because it sounded very academic and not practical at all. Let me give you an example. One of my favorite XKCD cartoons is the one where uh, mother gets a call from the school and uh, school the whoever it is on the other line says, did you really name your son Bobby semicolon drop table students? That's an example of computer science. So let me say something real quick. I think you're onto something, but I also think that if you read the rules as written to a deep knowledge of computers, computer systems, and programs that run them, which is what you mentioned, Use it to recover erased or encrypted data, protect documents from easy access, implant software to hijack a computer system, clone a phone SIM card, identify flaws in a security system, impersonate users to falsify data. I mean, that really does sound like 
hacking. Oh, it does. But that's not the way that people try to use it. People try to use it as, okay, I'm going to get up my laptop and I'm going to slice into the security gate at the end of this driveway. The way that I would use it, I'm going to get up my phone. I'm going to see if this guy that I'm following has left his Bluetooth on. Oh, look at that. He has. I'm going to use that to jack his phone. So uh, that seems like it requires a a real world knowledge of things. Whereas, Yeah, for for someone who is who is dumb as shit like me, or just doesn't know a whole lot about things, how are any of the use cases you just described as legitimate different from the ones you described that aren't? Because I agree with Kevin, it seems like it requires a real-world knowledge of what is plausible and what isn't. Let me use firearms as an example. Uh, someone playing this game doesn't need a knowledge of firearms, like a real-world knowledge of firearms, to be able to utilize their character's high firearms rating. Because we never say, like, unless you're crazy, you, you never make somebody say, like, ah, oh, you know, I... I take the weapon off safe. I press check the ma- the press check the chamber. You know, I I've loaded it with you know glazers. Uh, you know, I take aim, make sure the front sight is in view. You just say like I fire arms at that guy and you hit him. So I tend to run computer science similarly, in which is just like, all right, that, per- that this person with computer science ability is going to computer science the door open, or they're going to try. Whether that's bluejacking someone's phone to get their badge that gets through there whether that's vaping through the door and getting the sensor to trip whatever the case may be i don't really care the mechanics of it if they have a good skill i want to be able to use it to do the things that the skill in the book tells me to do so i think there's some value in understanding as a handler as a player the nuances of computer science because you can make your character better i just don't want that discussion on this podcast to make people think that without that knowledge they can't computer science doors open or computer science surveillance data or whatever but we want to give you some tools to help you be better at that more realistic and also to open some doors that maybe your your players didn't realize you know were options like i don't think i've ever seen anyone try to clone open some a doors sim- yeah 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 huh? yeah it's good i don't think i've ever seen anyone try to clone a sim card or to fish for a password i'm gonna i'm gonna throw another quick uh shout out uh, on here if, if you're interested in this kind of stuff and you don't have a lot of knowledge of it look up this guy on youtube named deviant Alum. I'll put a link in the show notes. He's a penetration tester, and some of the he says people always assume this hacking is like this like crazy stuff. And he's like, no, sometimes you just take a screwdriver and you just pop the door sensor from the from one side, or you just unfold the coat hanger and get into the highly secure server room. So at the same time, a lot of ways around things. That's kind of an aside, but I recommend his stuff. That's not really an aside because that's that's a good example of what I'm talking about. Like that's that would be you wouldn't use computer science to do that. That's craft electronics or SIGINT or some other kind of general or maybe maybe computer science to know you to, to know what to look for but i mean the the main thing for me is that computer science is mostly a programming skill i mean there's lots of ways you can use knowledge of like how server architectures and programming languages works to take advantage of a computer system but it's not going to really help you in in you know in meat space so to speak so it's useless no well i think maybe what i'm hearing from all of this is instead of specifying as a player how you want to do it, maybe you just want to tell the GM, so I want to use my computer science to achieve this result or to get this information. And you don't really have to specify how you're going about doing that in the same way, to use Kevin's example from before, you don't have to specify like your posture when you're firing the gun. Actually, that's a good point. Yeah, like Kevin, would you pe- what would you do if a player said, all right, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold my gun uh, sideways, parallel to the ground, lock my elbows and shoot this guy one-handed? What would you do? That's a good question. Um, I mean, I guess what if their firearm skill was ten, then fine. But if their sim- if their firearm skill was eighty, then I would try to separate out their maybe poor human knowledge from their char- character's knowledge. I'm saying your character would know that's a crappy way to fire a gun. Why are you doing it? Try to get some- to get to the bottom of that because maybe they're trying to 
you know, not if someone sees them do the shooting, someone's going to say, oh, they're firing it like gangbanger style. So they'll never come back to the highly trained, you know, HRT operator who would never fire a gun that way. Maybe there's some reason there. Maybe they just don't understand. So that could be a teaching moment. And that's often the way that I've used um, moments like that with respect to computer science. And yet somehow that's bad. People don't like that. People go, oh, well, my character is useless then because I can't do the specific thing that I want to do right now. Like, well, no, you could do it. Just you do a different thing if you want to leverage that skill or use a different skill if you want to do that thing. Well, you know what it is. It's that, and it's the same thing in Eclipse Phase. Um, if you want to make oftentimes the computer science skill usable, it requires building in almost a separate layer of interactivity to the game world. And and it, it's, 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 it's sort of the same as consciously adding things for people with other types of skills because i'm always saying i don't want it to just be about badges and shooting people so you know you add something for the anthropologist you add something for the biologist and one of the things is that adding stuff for the computer scientist can be hard because it requires you to essentially and it's and it's, it's it can be um it's easier in a game like this than it is in like an eclipse phase where everything has to be connected to the internet but in the delta green world how does my specific scenario how does the case that the players are trying to solve involve this stuff in a way that is possible because this was actually dealt with in eyes only on page 138 it says here that the players like to sniff out passwords and break encryption with sophisticated algorithms and most of the people running the game have no idea what any of that means and so basically it says this is a problem because most of the time neither the players nor the person running the game actually know that much about the thing and so they list some examples of of things that you can do to fix it that's page 138 of Eyes Only, page 139. I should have done this beforehand, but I'd only just now remember that this was possible. Maybe the reason why I'm reacting so badly to this is, do you know, do you remember how you feel when the players start talking about like, okay, I'm using the 10 millimeter auto, so that means that I get a plus one to hit versus unarmored targets because of the <laughs> jacketed hollow points expanding tendencies and, you know, the wounding effect. But on the other hand, a properly constructed 9 millimeter bolt, that's how we feel when, when we hear you know, get the computer architecture, you can't hack the Gibson, and you need to instead understand the deep mysteries of, um... The rich tapestry. Yes, exactly. So, that's... I'm, I'm saying that there's a commonality there where, you know, the question of player knowledge versus character knowledge, I guess, we, that we keep coming back to. Mel, I think that was a really good example. I do want to uh, take umbrage with one part of it. In your example, which I think you were just spitballing, so you didn't mean this, but in your example, you, the character was using it to get a mechanical advantage. Like they were getting a plus one to damage because they had some some crazy. No, 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 no. Yeah, this, this, this is just that. describing a more general um, trend where people are interested in certain things and in certain you know injecting realism into certain parts of the game. Will has stated very emphatically that he's not interested in gun fondling, which is a position that a lot of the Delta Green developers share. I know with him. That's because he's Canadian. I think it's worth pointing out though that if, that if I tell a player that I'm interested in gun fondling or or fucking around with what with what what calibers he's using that player doesn't then respond by complaining that firearms is a useless skill what did he mean by this i do think there's uh with any skill uh a little goes a long way if you want to sprinkle in some real world knowledge if you want to with one sentence you know mention that your agent always does a a press check because you know that's a cool thing to do and realistic for someone with high firearms that's great but when you get into like the fourth or fifth sentence it's time to land the plane and move on and the same goes with using your deep knowledge of computer architecture one sentence, really cool character development, adds to the story. A paragraph, maybe is too much. Listeners, if you want to see some uh, non-DG media to mine for 
cool ideas and about how to use you know computer science and and SIG and stuff. Watch NCIS. And then, no, uh, I was going to suggest two shows, which I hope to be able to discuss on the DG and Media segment at some point. One is Mr. Robot, and the other is Person of Interest. So let me. I think we've. I think we've talked about two problems and two solutions, none of which are none of which are all encompassing or mutually exclusive. So, so one issue we have is that the, the player may not have the knowledge that their character does. So the character may have eighty in computer science. The the player who's not that computer savvy or isn't like you know a computer architect himself isn't sure what he can do to actually help the the team along so he feels kind of useless and left out you know one solution is you can look at the eyes only you can listen to this podcast you can look at some popular media properties and learn a little more about it or you can always ask the handler like look i'm not sure how this would work but i, I want a computer science that thing let's make it happen the other one was that players who aren't knowledgeable about it tend to go on detailed diatribes and try to, you know, game the system because they know more than the handler does. Uh, and I think, you know, because they're actually, they do this in real life or they know IT infrastructure, they bluejack people all the time. And in which case, the handler gets kind of steamrolled and then no one has any fun. And I think the solution there we discussed was don't let players do that with anything. I think, I think I'm realizing, though, that um, me not playing the computer scientist characters anymore is not actually the fault of the game's design. It's just that I don't find those very interesting because I thought through this conversation I would find stuff that I wanted to do. But the more I think about it, the more I think I'd rather just play a guy with a badge and a gun because it's not that the system is badly designed. It's just that I don't find that particularly thing interesting. Well, I think part of the thing is that, and I think this is a consequence of having a game sort of focused on espionage, is that there are a lot of subjects where you can kind of just... Uh, stack the deck in your favor if you're knowledgeable at a, a subject, whether that's um, computer science, I guess, or tradecraft or something like that. But at least with a dedicated skill for computer science, you have a way to at least hand wave that if the GM isn't knowledgeable or a way for the GM to feed that information to the player if the player wants to do something and doesn't have the knowledge they require. Yeah, I think though that the initial question that we were asking has not quite been addressed because you guys you guys are kind of hitting on the same thing here and you just hit on it will sit on it kevin's hit on it which is here uh, tom you have this idea okay it doesn't matter you know the exact mechanism by which i do it i have the computer science skills so we can hand wave that but i think the initial question is not how exactly do you do it the question is can you do it what is possible and what isn't no and that's that would be a similar question a similar scenario to someone trying to use forensics to do basically any of the shit they do on csi for instance. You know what I actually think it's closest to? Is the law skill. Because the law skill is saying, can I get away with this thing or not? Can I get this person to do what I want? And that is a question that is partially answered by the game system, because you've got the law skill. But in real life, I don't fucking know. I don't know what the criminal code of New Jersey says about, uh, you know, knock and notice or uh, stopping of a vehicle. Well, that's a good point. That's the reason you have skills in these games is to kind of abstractify knowledge that the character has and the player doesn't i think i think goblin punch had an example actually of imagine if every time your elf tried to fire tried to shoot an arrow from his bow you had to actually get up from the table and start throwing darts at a dartboard that would be pretty frustrating not if you're really good at darts well no but we accept a certain abstraction of skills like firearms for players who have never actually held a gun in their lives and so I think that might be the over the broader issue of we're trying to figure out a place where uh, 
a place where we can accept character expertise without necessarily trying to milk player knowledge. I'm thinking about a game that I was listening to where someone was trying to use computer science to do a bunch of things that were not going to mince words totally inappropriate. But I'm trying, I'm, I'm trying to think of like, well, instead of maybe trying to see if the house they're surveilling has cameras on the inside for some reason, maybe the way to use computer science is to... Uh, see if you can't hijack the microphone on somebody's uh, on somebody's laptop. You know, see if you can't uh, get in on, to get to their webcam feed. See if you can't uh, access their phones. That would give you eyes and or ears inside a building and isn't ridiculous. I mean, so that's another case where uh, the player would say, "Okay, I want to, I want to, I want to get into the cameras." And I'm like, "All right, well, there are no cameras. What are you trying to do?" There it is. Yeah, that that that's right. That's it right there. What are you trying to do? That's exactly it. Yeah, Roll computer science. You succeeded. Cool. What you do is, uh, how about you you get into somebody's unsecured cell phone and you're able to get their mic on? All right, cool. That's awesome. Or, ah, that doesn't sound great. What if I find the Alexa? All right, cool. Like, whatever works, works. You got to have a little negotiation there. I've been trying to, to make what are you trying to do a more regular part of my regimen. And I worry that it comes across as, like, belittling. But what I mean with but what I mean by it is the exact opposite. I mean, I don't know how this specific path you're on helps you. I don't. I'm not sure that you know. And I want to help you do the thing in a way that plus plus it, it it'll often involve details of the game world that I haven't thought of. But that if the player has a specific thing they want to do, I might be more inclined to allow that. Like, does the you know does the guy um, like leave the Wi-Fi on his phone on and all not the phone, the mobile hotspot or whatever on at all times? Or um, one thing is that uh, alarm systems on houses will often have like a really big, stupid, fucking obvious cable like to the phone system because that's what they use to dial for like problems. So it's designed for design stuff like that or just features of the game world that I don't I'm not thinking of when I write something or when I I I, I uh, say that something happens, but that if someone tells me it's important to them as part of their plan or not even this not even that it's specifically important to them but gives me a, a something they're trying to do where that could be relevant to them, that's where that comes from. So what are you trying to do is and I think that some people who take a more, um, they want the game to be, the game world to be more like a simulation or whatever, or they want it to be more like a living, breathing world that isn't kind of built as the, built as you go along by the desires of the players, or they feel like that's, you know, prompting them too much, will stay away from that, but, and that's how I used to be, but I think more and more I'm trying to incorporate that in my repertoire. I want to reach back to something Melon said about filling in the details of the game world, and I think this can really help uh, if you're using computer science specifically, because think of how many people have, let's say, Google Homes or Amazon Echoes in their houses. Just how many different junk can connect to Bluetooth or Wi-Fi? So the Internet of Things. Exactly, the Internet of Things. So I don't think one of those things is your uh, is your local power station, though. No, it is not your local power station. But if the player wants to say, uh, see if there's a camera inside a guy's house. And hey, you could turn his fridge off and spoil his milk. Yeah, I was gonna say if you want to give him control, and then, he, oh, and then he leaves to get more milk, and then you go in uh, undetected. Brilliant. <laughs> well, the, so the way you'd fuck with the power grid is that you would uh, find an employee of the power company. You would get something on one of their personal computers that then they, that then would be transferable to either a device that they owned or a flash drive or something that they use at work. Go all Stuxnet on it. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, if because because being air gap doesn't matter if the people have bad and everyone does people use personal devices for work shit and vice versa all the time. I think when you're adjudicating the use of computer science or at least any kind of digital infiltration, you have to remember that 
security is the enemy of convenience. And so you get security holes like this where people just ignore whatever the protocols are because it gets in the way and nothing bad's ever happened before. What's going to happen this time? It's the same thing as our conversation we had earlier about how it's tempting to have the foe to like say these guys are realistically really good at their jobs. They're really good at tradecraft and stuff. So you can't track them this way. But that just means that then they're essentially non-interactive. Because if there's no way for the, if they never fuck up, if there's no way for the players to get a to get a lead on them, then they might as well not be in the game. And I think it's the same case here. Right, and it's not a problem you've been having, Will, from the sound of it. But for our listeners. Uh, if you are being really restrictive with players' use of computer science for this reason, that, you know, whatever network would be perfectly secure, because why wouldn't it? That's just not really how human beings work. I forget the context in which it happened, but I know, and maybe multiple times, but I know, like, really highly secure facilities have been breached because someone will just throw a bunch of thumb drives literally in the parking lot. Like, just throw thumb drives around, and some idiot will pick one up, plug it into their workstation. Oh, wonder what's on here. And your network's dead. That's genius. Uh, I think the thing to take away from all this is to work with your GM or your player to figure out what result they want to achieve in the game world. And then, if that sounds reasonable, try and like craft your description of what they're doing to match that. Don't try and pick their brain for tradecraft or their knowledge of... Uh, internet infrastructure to, before they can try it. It's similar to a lot of advice we give on the show, isn't it? Yeah, there's probably a, a running theme here. You know what really grinds my gears about stealth things in video games and in media and in role-playing games? No, what, what grinds your gears, Kevin? In... Many stealth games and many stealth systems in games, um, stealth is a binary problem. You're either in stealth and you can do all the fun stealth stuff, or you've been spotted and you're in an entirely different set of mechanics that involves being loud. And I really hate that because in reality, I feel like it's a lot more of a spectrum where you become spotted and someone starts to investigate what's going on and you have a chance to stop the cascading failure uh, before it becomes uh, a loud you know, firefight. Here's a short personal anecdote. Um, we had to do our own like security detail when we were part of this logistics support area. And uh, as part of the military exercise, the Op 4 would like probe our defenses. Nine times out of ten, uh, whenever we were under attack, it's just people going, wait, what's going on? <laughs> Is anything happening over in that sector? Wait, wait, are they in? Are they inside? Should we like... Is is this us? Is that is that us or them? You hear that gunfire? Friendly? Are you friendly? <laughs> it's confusing as shit. It's, it's not like an instant like, oh, everybody knows exactly what's happening. It takes like a good command team in order to kind of put that information out about what's happening as well. And I'll, I'll, in the, in, I'll link this to Delta Green so that we have some sort of relevance here. Uh, typically, Delta Green, you want to do a stealthy thing. So you roll stealth. And if you succeed, then you're stealthy. And if you fail, then you have to go find another option. Which I find makes for unengaging gameplay. Well, what it makes for is it makes for players that don't want to do stealth because they know that not only will a failure mean they fail, it'll also 
mean that they're in a very dangerous situation most of the time. And, you know, let me also say that I do not want a nuanced stealth system where I have to account for the loudness of my gear and pack extra underwear in between my metal things and and how much light amplification do I give off. I don't don't want that either. There's different game systems out there. Some of them are uh, more geared for stealth gameplay. Uh, One Heron and I have discussed in the past that we really like is Blades in the Dark. And instead of treating stuff like a binary system, uh, it has, uh, they call it progress clocks. So uh, imagine, you know, uh, pieces of a pie uh, in a wedge. GM's supposed to give it sort of like an arbitrary number, usually about eight. Uh, If a player fails a stealth roll, then the progress clock that's labeled detection gets a chunk filled in. But if they uh, pass it, then... uh, progress clock labeled infiltration kind of gets filled in and you know whether or not you actually use the clocks to designate this you're kind of already doing this if you ditch the binary system you could pretty easily sketch on top of that like a uh, and if you didn't want to use clocks just have some tokens and every time players use something that, that makes them stealthier or you know stops the cascading failure they get a stealth token and they've gotten x then they're done with that encounter and if they do things that are like loud or noisy or bad, then they get either lose tokens or they get you know negative tokens, something along those lines. It's kind of like a, a progression. So it's easier to keep up with it if you have a visual representation, be it the token or you know some sort of a meter or a clock. And I don't think it adds too much to the GM for having to handle this sort of thing or to keep track of it if it's just such a simple little mechanic like that. Um. I have in the past come out kind of strongly against uh, multiple roles to do uh, to do a thing, um, because I find that's normally really bad. But I think this is kind of a case where I'm gonna where I'm gonna like make an exception because in this case, if the thing is infiltrating the enemy base, then you actually do want a bunch of roles, but not the same role, different roles that that respond to the action and reaction to the players and the NPCs. But you want to get to that like threshold of you know the first you know the f- four failures and you're, you're screwed or four successes and you've passed it, etc. And uh, another idea that also comes from Blades in the Dark, I think, is that uh, failure doesn't necessarily mean like game over. It can just mean a setback. So, uh, you know, if you're trying to sneak into this building and they have a security guard and you fail your stealth roll, well, maybe you just like kicked a rock across the parking lot or something like that. And the uh, security guard who had been just kind of like trying to stay awake by reading a book or something puts the book down and starts patrolling instead because he's like, oh, what was that noise? Which you actually see kind of in some video games like uh, Splinter Cell kind of comes to mind because there's the option to like, you know, make a distraction, throw a bottle or whatever to change the guard's patrol route. It goes back to our, um, to the, to the, the conversation that people often have about rolling to failure, where if you make people roll for something over and over again, they're basically guaranteed to fail. And that's, well, yeah, one of the good ways to fix that is to have consequences that for for failing one of the roles that aren't just instant detection yeah exactly you've got kind of a a a step scale where the first failure is you know an alert guard second failure is another guard shows up you know and then after the fourth failure maybe now you've been spotted in some firefight but you've you've gotten there you know and i think it's going to be at least equal to the step success like the step failure chart needs to be at least the same as the step success chart so a success means the guard you know fucks off for the on this patrol or takes a nap or whatever Got to have benefits in there too. When I think of a stealth system that emulates kind of what we want to see, it's actually payday two, where if you get detected, if you get seen, that's not the end of the world. You can still 
do something to prevent it before a firefight happens and the alarm is raised. Uh, I mean, I can see where I see where you're going with that. I mean, Payday Two has a lot of problems with the stealth mechanics that we don't need to get into, but uh, you do have a chance. Just so people who haven't played, if you if a guard sees you, you can if you can silently take him out, you can answer his uh, like check in call on his radio and be like, uh, everything's fine. We're all fine here. Just a reactor leak, you know. Uh, it's good. Everything's fine. How are you? But you can only do that so many times. So I'm not a big payday guy because I happen to think that Left 4 Dead was fine when it was just zombies you were shooting. But um, one thing that I, one thing and and you guys can tell me if this is wrong, but the impression I've always got with payday is that you basically spend a long time doing this elaborate plan, and then one of the randos you're playing with on the internet fucks it up, and then you got to go loud. And so that I think takes us into a discussion of the other reason I think stealth is often not used in these types of RPGs, and that's how do you handle a group of people doing it? Payday 2 is actually a good example because if you if your if your character is made to stealth, then you're going to be crushed in a loud operation. And if you're made to go loud, you're not going to be very stealthy. So you could build a Delta Green character who's super stealthy, but they're going to suffer in non-stealth environments. The way that the Alexandrian explains it is that because most games are very punishing to group attempts at stealth, like you know, it's it's the chance basically the chance of the lowest guy is is the that it is your effectively your chance to be stealthy. So what that means is that then the only person who can do stealth is the stealth man. And that creates two problems. The first problem being that, okay, that one guy is off playing the game while everyone else is sitting around doing nothing. The other problem is that if that stealth man is detected, oftentimes, okay, that's one guy against everything that's up ahead. And once the once you pass the point where the guy can't survive long enough to get back to the group, stealth stops being an option. One avenue of, of dealing with how to avoid the roll to failure thing is by, well, if if agents can arrange uh, a sort of a distraction uh, way of occupying the attention of people who would otherwise notice them, maybe they don't have to roll at all. You know, maybe conditions on the ground don't make it necessary to even attempt a stealth roll because people just aren't looking. That's good. If you don't like the environment that you're in, create your own noisier one. Exactly. I do like the idea. I mean, I like any mechanic that, that rewards players using teamwork especially if it's one player who's weak in something helping out another player who's strong in something or vice versa um so use create distraction to give somebody a either a, a bonus to a stealth roll or just to ignore a stealth roll is awesome another thing i see with rewarding players for good uses of stealth is rewarding the use of probably one of one of the someone say useless but i would say least used skills in the game and that being disguise because i've often played games where uh People, characters have had disguise and they've perhaps created disguise, but it's never come up. And Melon, I'm sure you can talk about that. Disguise is a problem because, uh, and and I guess I guess this is generally why I, I don't fuck with stealth and disguise anymore. Because um, I had a I had a fun idea for character um, who was basically supposed to be like an FBI undercover agent, so really good at disguise and stealth. And then every scenario he got put into was just a meat grinder of mandatory combat where there was no there was, there was no reason to disguise himself and no reason to be stealthy. The problem is that most characters do not have disguise. So if you make disguise necessary for doing like undercover or stealth stuff, players aren't going to do it. On the other hand, if you make it unnecessary, that means that points invested in that skill are not wasted. So got to find a nice uh, sweet spot then. Yeah. What is what is what is it that a normal person can do so that the option is not off the table completely? Versus what is it that a guy with the skill can do that normal people can't. So I'm um, thinking of uh, one of my favorite books is Tom Clancy's Without Remorse. There's a 
uh, section of that book where uh, the main guy, who's like this really badass like Navy SEAL, goes undercover as a wino uh, to watch some like drug dealers who killed his like hooker girlfriend or whatever. He disguises himself as a wino like full on. And this is like uh, how I'd use the disguise skill. He like pisses on himself. He starts like adopting their like manners of like having a hunchback, just smelling really, really foul because nobody wants to look at like a homeless person or something like that. And that that's a good use of disguise, I think, because, yeah, anybody could put on some like ragged clothes, but uh, the disguise skill could denote like going the extra mile. I think, uh, I mean, Melon was kind of uh, nibbling around the problem, but. You know, almost any problem you can solve with disguise, you could also solve with a gun. And guns, you can solve a lot more problems with, so why not just be good at guns? Well, it's because you're trying to do it quietly and discreetly. Silent. In this kind of situation, it's a lot about general scenario design where you reward not doing the shooty-shooty, gunny-gunny option with uh, when you're using the disguise skill. An original thought I had was if you succeed disguise, what you have over the common man who puts on a construction vest is... When someone actually wants to find out if you're a real person, then you get a plus 20 to some skill. But I think a skill giving you a plus 20 to another skill is extremely convoluted and stupid. Yeah, I like the idea. I would just say that you get a pass. So if you if you have a good disguise skill and you're trying to pass, you're, you're trying to <clears throat> sell yourself as like a, a um, I don't know, the, the, the OSHA inspector who's wandering into the worksite or whatever. Uh, a good disguise skill means that if somebody questions you on something specifically to try and test you and see if you're really an OSHA inspector. So 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 they come they come to you and they say, OSHA man, take me to the land that you understand. God damn it, Kino. I lost my train of thought. Thanks, Melon. No, you you, you no, I, I see where you're going with that though. That 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 you can convince people that you know what you're talking about because part of the disguise skill is acquiring enough information to get by. Yeah, and I think that's um, a good way to use disguise skill in a way that isn't just completely redundant with uh, gameplay that doesn't require rolling, which up until now is how I've been handling disguise skills. I haven't even... I've just been running Delta Green as though the disguise skill didn't exist. Yeah, I I mean, I suppose it's also the philosophy that disguise isn't just putting your putting on a, a glasses and a fake mustache. It's about mannerisms, how you act and things you know. I would almost say, like, a guy with disguise is a guy who, without flashing his badge, could convince other police officers that he's, like, from the next precinct over or whatever. There's a bit in Boston Legal where, I forget which one it is, but he goes to somebody's house and is like, he takes out his wallet and doesn't open it and says, hi, ma'am, I'm, you know, so-and-so with uh, the FBI, which is what I would say, this is an official investigation, which it is not, and since it isn't, I'm not with the FBI and I'm not here, do you understand? And she's like, uh, okay. That's great. He didn't lie. So it sounds to me like uh, another use of disguise is uh, Call of Cthulhu has a skill called fast talk. Yes. Which which is just bullshitting. It's just bullshitting the skill. When it would take too long to use persuade and you just want to spend some like very short effort to get your way very quickly. So I, I like the idea of a successful disguise check giving you like essentially like a get out of jail free card. Like a, like a free pass on the first time that you would be rolled against that isn't rolled. I wonder if we could do the same for stealth. So a successful stealth check means the first time that a guard would blunder into you, they don't. So you're not even having to make that second roll to failure. If you've done it stealthily, the first screw up is kind of covered. That's sort of a take on letting it ride, isn't it? Yeah, I like that. Because I think that, uh, Kevin, you said earlier you want multiple dice rolls to successfully infiltrate a compound or whatever with, you know, 
not each one, not never, not every failed roll being instant detection. But I think that we we can mate that with the concept of letting it ride, where you're making those rolls because the situation is changing, or because you have a new challenge, and not because you have you have to roll each time you sneak by somebody. Yeah. So I mean, so I, I, obviously, obviously, I know what let it ride is, but I mean, for people who may not know what it is, so letting it ride is a concept whereby rather than requiring the player to roll dice each time let's say that let's say that you have to get through let's use a random example uh three locked doors and you roll the lockpick skill for the first one you roll lockpick skill for the second one you roll lockpick skill for the third one is that really if it's all the same thing if each of the if if something is part of a you know a a basically continuous action or let's say you're climbing up a wall and the, the the gm makes you make three or four athletics tests to get up there and it's the same wall the entire time, then if you are required to roll the dice over and over again, you are doing something which is called rolling to failure, which is that the more dice you have to roll, the more likely you are to eventually fail. Whereas if the GM says you only need one athletics test until the circumstances change, that's letting it ride. So if you're climbing up the wall and nothing nothing happens, okay, you're letting it ride. You, you, uh, you, pass, the fir- you pass the first athletics test to get to the top. But let's say like a seagull comes and tries to antagonize you or, you know, someone tosses an object out the window and it falls down on top of you, then you would have to either make another die roll or make a decision about how you want to proceed. And the flip side of letting it ride, which I think is a great policy, by the way, is that letting it ride might permit you to get away with stuff for as long as the situation stays the same. But I think the the flip side of it is that it should also usually, and I think, Will, you've, you've mentioned this before, to me at least, uh, it should also prohibit ma- attempting the same tactic over and over again after it fails the first time. Because it, if the tactic failed the first time, it was because there was some circumstance, either of your performance or the game world, that prevented it from working. And until circumstances change, which might be due to a decision you make, it won't work again. And uh, if that was a long description, but that is a pretty simple mechanic you could just roll into a game. So that's uh, that's neat. Let me just add that I think rolling to failure can sometimes be a good mechanic if you are trying to communicate the fact that something is really, really difficult. Yes. I also, I do like rolling to failure in a combat scenario, or in a combat situation. Well, combat scenarios are rolling to failure. It's, it's attrition on both sides. If the enemy rolls enough dice, eventually you're going to get hit. The longer you're in a firefight, the greater your chances of getting shot. That's why you carry the biggest gun in the highest decks. That's why you get the element of surprise. Yeah, if you use successful stealth and disguise to get right up on top of somebody, there's no need for a combat. The GM can just call it murder. Yeah, that's not a combat anymore. That's an ambush. Using stealth in combat is probably a topic we can go over. DG has generally pretty good rules for it. It says that basically there's two circumstances where stealth comes in. If, if, you, if someone is caught completely unaware and unable to defend themselves, you can just kill them automatically. And if they're, they're not helpless, but they're unaware... You get a plus 20 to your attack, and it's an automatic crit, which is, I think, really good at reflecting why ambushes are super nasty. Here's another question about stealth and combat. So, like, uh, the rogue in D&D 5e has mechanics for breaking off from combat and then, like, hiding in the middle of combat in order to get, like, more sneak attack. Has anyone in your games ever tried to sneak away in the middle of a firefight? Absolutely. Um... Erbus, the firefighter who uses who fights with an axe, has in at least one circumstance uh, used a strategy that I refer to as the Cape Buffalo. A Cape Buffalo is an animal that lives in um, southern Africa and is one of the most dangerous animals next to the um, behind the hippo. And the reason why the Cape Buffalo is such a motherfucker is because when you wound it, 
it gets, you know, upset, it leaves the blood trail, it acts like it's retreating, it hides, and then when you get right on top of it, it just fucking kills you. And so Erebus was, there were, like, cultists shooting at him, he was in a house, and so he starts shouting like he's hit, and he hide, he, he goes he goes back through the door, he basically goes, basically waits in the hallway, one of them comes in with a gun and he hits him with the axe. I like that a lot. Because the thing is, is that any, like, someone who's, like, very, very well-trained will recognize that as an obvious ambush, and, you know, they'll throw a grenade in or whatever before they go in. But a normal person who, would, like, most of the people, even, like, trained, you know, law enforcement types, are not necessarily always thinking, like, you know, legendary tactical badasses. Yeah, man, you might forget to slice the pie one day or something. Walk right into an axe. Then the pie that gets sliced is you. Nice. We've hit on a couple of pretty interesting, uh, easy stealth mechanics that people can kind of sprinkle into their games. So we've talked a little bit about why binary stealth is hot garbage from a butt. Um, any other uh, thoughts on, on stealth or how people can utilize it? I think Delta Green is a game that has maybe slightly more problems with uh, interesting gradations of failure than other games because it's an em- there's an emphasis on realism on... I mean, realism is a strong word, but like on, you know, verisimilitude, I guess, Conse- which is consequences. Uh, yeah, consequences exactly is where I'm going with this on extreme consequences for your actions. But also um, even just something as simple as like the fact that in Delta Green, you have maybe 12 hit points and a single burst of automatic fire can instantly kill you. It's a game where like even even if the GM is, is trying hard to give you a way out, fucking up can instantly mulch you without the guy running the game even intending it to almost just like reality which is almost kind of uh against part of what i've interpreted some of the design philosophy to be because to me delta green is all about creating a beautiful death spiral that's that's always been the problem with uh the call of Cthulhu family of games is that there is the long-term degradation of the character that is great but can't happen if you're running masked up in your lathothep and there's a firefight every 20 minutes. Yeah, and then, you know, what you had intended for it to be like a beautiful demise is just you take an axe to the side of the head and you're dead now. It's just people were arguing too long about crossing the river and a VC shot you in the head and crit instantly. Hey, hey, hey. That's a Kino, that's a Kino <laughs> moment, man. It was good, man. It was but great. I, and I shouldn't pick on you for that because I've had maybe two or three instances of that where, like... Um, actually perfect inversion the arvin soldier with the m2 carbine sees you coming up the stairs with a shotgun thinks you're a, a, a you know a communist infiltrator and just crit shoots both of you or the um the neo-nazi ukrainian paramilitary realizes that the archaeologist who just tried to tase him is actually you know uh, a russian infiltrator crit shoots her crit shoots the rest of the squad so yeah it's it's a it's it's a, a game where there's a couple of built-in mechanics that can just instantly fuck everything up. Like, beyond the ability to, to of anyone to hedge against, almost. I mean, for the very least, that's realistic. Shit can go wrong in a split second. <laughs> it may be realistic, but realism isn't always fun. So yeah, I think that it's a game where you where that's that's why this sort of escalation of stuff before the guns come out is important. Because once the guns come out, you're in a you're in a territory where there's no more um, hedging against failure, there's no more gradations, a single roll can just kill you instantly. And even then, you know, there's stuff like, you know, use cover or whatever, but it's still a, a very different landscape. Did we get pushing the roll? In Call of Cthulhu 7th, you can do something called pushing a roll, which in, and pushing a roll is, I want to re-roll that, and if I fail this time, there's going to be serious consequences. 
like I, I, I criticize seventh mechanics a lot because I really hate some some things about it, like the, the skill list being too big. But that is, I think, a very good way of handling that sort of thing because it puts the risk reward decision almost completely in the hands of the player. Can you give me like a, a gameplay example? All right, uh, Kevin, um, you had better give me all of those eight dollars in your wallet. I roll my intimidate check and I fail, and I'm I'm thinking to myself, well, this is. Certainly not helpful to my cause. So when I say I'm going to push that roll, I roll again and my character pulls out a gun and says the same thing. The part about the push-roll mechanic is that the player has to state to the GM an interesting or troublesome bad thing that happens if you fail the push-roll again. Right. So I'm going to say, uh, GM, I'm going to pull a gun on this man. And the bad consequence is that he himself knows a little bit about the gunfighting arts and by drawing on him, I enter a very dangerous place where anything can happen. Another example, let's put it in the context of stealth. You make your stealth roll, uh, you fail it. The GM says, well, what's the worst that could happen? And you say, well, I guess they catch me on camera if I fail this roll, but I still get to move forward. And if you fail again, I mean, if you pass, you made it through without being detected. But if you fail, then they got you on camera or, you know, something like that. It's a dialogue between the GM and the player because sometimes it's hard for the GM to come up with shit on the fly. Yeah, it's a, it's kind of like the um, the Star Wars Fantasy Flight problem where it's constantly demanding that you come up with interesting things to happen besides success and failure so i mean i i, I like it as a, as a mechanic i don't i'm not sure if it fits very well in delta green because delta green just doesn't have that anywhere else but i think it would fit perfectly in the, the fantasy flight star wars game uh one more call of cthulhu mechanic i kind of like that might be useful in stealth and i'll also offer a way you could convert it over to delta green uh so in call of cthulhu they divide your stats into or sorry your skills You've got the raw skill, you've got the skill divided by two, and you've got the skill divided by five. And it becomes either a hard success when it's divided by two, or an extreme success when it's divided by five. So if you, you know, if you have 80 firearms and you roll up, uh, oh god, what's 80 divided by five? 16. Yeah, if you roll underneath that, it's uh, extreme success. Delta Green kind of has a version of this if you factor in, you know, minus 20 and minus 40 percent penalties because it comes out to be like roughly the same. But the problem with that is, well, no, I guess it's not really a problem because uh, blackjack rules for success are meant to be used in opposed roles. So if you're only using the player's role, you could use uh, degrees of success. Delta Green made a smart decision, and I think in eschewing margin of success and failure and just doing criticals, because that's something that doesn't require any calculation. Like, okay, what, you know, what, what's my skill divided by five? What's my skill divided by four? What's it divided by three? Like, I don't want to play that game. I mean, it could have a place if you're... But again, like, I don't see why you wouldn't just use the opposer roll system of Delta Green because I really like the blackjack style. Exactly. But it is another option for people to look at. And the blackjack system is, like, you can't use it with the creation of success because they work in opposite. You have to flip it, weirdly. I don't know. I mean, I like the Delta Green as a pretty simple system. I think these are cool. Some of the, like, roll to failure or um, the mechanics we talked about earlier. Let it ride. Letting it ride, yes. Um, you could drop in and ask the player, like, hey, you know, do you want to let this ride or what do you want to do but if you just drop like a gradation of success or on somebody i'd be like wait have we been doing this the whole time like like, what does this mean for me so i wouldn't then it's easier to just drop into us to a to a scenario so dice rolls that are kept secret from your players how do you guys feel about that um there's certain times when it's appropriate because uh things like 
you know, did I get detected by the security camera? I think a big one is there's some stuff in the book that's like forensics to clean up a crime scene. If I fuck up, if I fuck up my forensics role to clean up the crime scene, I'm going to say, guys, we can't leave this crime scene because I clearly fucked up the or role. I'm setting a fire. Yeah, exactly. So there's certain stuff that you have to keep hidden because, yeah, if if the players know that whether they succeeded or failed in reference to something else that someone else does, that changes the dynamic enough that you want that to be hidden. And I think stealth will sometimes fall into that. My concern is that if you make it all hidden, it just exacerbates all the problems we just described. There's also, you have to kind of separate out the, the fact that the player saw the role and the fact that their character wouldn't know if it failed or succeeded. So if you make a forensics role, you might know as a player, like, oh, that it failed, this is going to be bad. Your character thinks he did a good job, so there's a little bit of separating out the meta from that. But what if we try to make the mechanics of the game reflect what is happening in the game rather than requiring people to separate in-character, not-a-character knowledge? I mean, I think both are good outcomes, yes. Like, I understand where you're coming where you're coming from here, but I, I want the game to be robust enough that people don't have to do that if at all possible. I come from a world where I would rather seal the roles because I've I've played with people in the past who had a... Who, if they thought that a failure would be really cool, would be like, yep, oh, that's a failure. Like, oh, you, you missed them. I'm pretty sure I've been keeping track and I've hit that guy at the same role before. So I've had that kind of crap happen before and I don't like it. No, that's fair. So I'd rather see it, and, and I will not metagame it if I see it. Because I've been in the situation before where um, the first time I played uh, any world, a World of Darkness game, I completely did not understand the dice system. And so I kept, you know, getting what I thought were successes and kept failing miserably. And it's because the guy was doing, like, all the soak rolls and all the meta stuff behind the scenes at the start. And then I think, Will, you were the one who was like, maybe, maybe we need to roll in the open so that the people who don't understand this game can see what the fuck's happening. And I was like, yeah, that's fair. And I still think that's a that I hate I still hate that dice system, but it gave me a more positive affect towards it. So, so I mean, I guess my personal philosophy is I would rather see the roles in the open, and I, as a player, will not be a, an asshole about it. But if you're gonna rule in secret, as long as you kind of let the players know ahead of time, that's what you're doing. I think it's that's just a stylistic choice. But I do think striving for a system where you don't need secret roles is also a good ideal. As a GM, sometimes you have to be neutral. Let the dice fall as they may. What makes a man go neutral? So sometimes when I'm, I'm running games and my players are doing a thing that I don't like, and I'll get to what that thing is in a moment, I play a little game. And how that game works is, I say, when you describe your actions, players, you are not allowed to use the name of the skill that you want to use. So you're Vincent Baker, then? I don't know who that is. The guy who wrote Apocalypse World? Oh, uh, I guess I am. What is Apocalypse World? Uh, it's a different style of role-playing game, and uh, explicitly it says, you know, if you want to do something, do it. It doesn't say, you know, I roll aggro. Or I roll uh, to ma- I roll manipulate. Well, the interesting thing is neither, the Delta Green doesn't say that you do that either, and yet and 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 uh, Dungeons and Dragons doesn't say that you have to say that, and yet players keep doing it, and for some reason, for some irrational reason, it bothers me. Actually, no, it's a, it's a very rational reason because sometimes they do it, and I legitimately do not know what they are asking me. Like, have you guys ever had? You guys ever had a thing where you're just you're you're doing the handler thing? You're handling. You're describing the scene. You you you, p- you pitch it to the players, and then one of the players just just says the name of a skill, and his voice goes up at the end to indicate that it's a question. Human, and you just have no idea what he wants. Persuade? I don't know. It's actually this is a cool meta game. It's uh, where you try and communicate about the game without actually like engaging in the game. I had a DM once who did a thing 
Um, similar thing is when, when players just reach for the dice and roll them without saying anything and then declare what they got. And I, I had this, I know this, this DM who sometimes when players would do that and he was feeling particularly snarky, he'd say, you know, well, the, uh, the guard is very impressed with your role, but he's, he, he can't play dice with you right now. He's too busy working. I feel like that would be funny exactly one time. And then I would tell him to fuck off. Uh, which the player or the DM? The DM. Because if I were the DM, I agree, it'd be funny exactly one time, and then I tell the players to fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right, I guess I guess here's a, a silly question, but why why is this bad? I mean, there's a skill, a role that needs to happen. I want to try to make a, a persuasion attempt. So why can't I just say, all right, my character who is suave and debonair and has a charisma of thirty, uh, where it's supposed to meet the human has a charisma of six. Uh, I roll persuade, make the dice happen, and move the story forward. Why is that bad? That's an excellent question, and I don't know why that's bad. And so I'm hoping maybe you guys can help me break this down. And then for anybody who's listening who has this same uh, pet peeve, maybe maybe we can help them get around it too. Well, if you'll recall, Will's original complaint was specifically that he didn't know what the fuck they were trying to achieve by saying they rolled a skill. So if you are going to say, I'm going to use my persuade skill to make this man agree to see my way of thinking we've at least advanced beyond the initial problem that that will had with it but will if i recall correctly in your run-up to this you said that wasn't the only issue that you had no, with this I'll, type of behavior. i'll expand it uh, as well to to the example that you and kevin gave. i'll expand it to saying i use skill to do this sure it does certainly f- help help me break this it down does certainly feel like a lazy sure way you know you're playing a role-playing game so why not have a little fun with it well okay that's that's just it. It's the role-playing game. There's like three elements to that right there. Role-playing game. And he's just doing the just one part Look, of I'm that. Rolling the, I'm rolling the dice. The, the I'm game, playing the, the game. The, What's the problem? Yeah, no. <laughs> He's only playing the game part there. He's not really... Because you have to well, he's, interpret he's, like he's rolling. intentions, right? Yeah, he's rolling the dice. So I think I'm, I've hit all... He's, it's he's, role he's all playing. Oh, that's it. Roll. R-O-L-L. Playing. Yeah. So I'm going to come and defend the guy who's doing this bad behavior just because I completely agree that it's, you know, bypassing like the fiction component of it. But at the same time, I recognize that not always the player should be required to do a lot of knowledge or description of whatever it is they're trying to do. So if my if my character has computer science or biology or whatever, I don't know shit about those topics in real life. Or if I roll firearms, I don't have to describe using the Weaver stance and or the isosceles and, you know, taking up the second pressure on the trigger and pulling back with one hand and pushing forward with the other and, you know, front sight. Well, it's not front sight because what if I'm doing um, point shooting so I just draw and, uh, instinctively... <sighs> Oh, so now you don't like the voluminous narrative description <laughs> of what it is I'm doing. Now you'd rather I'd said I use firearms on the man. Point I think taken. There Point is a taken. happy medium between the description <laughs> of the stance you're using. But, but so so what what I'm describing is is that the reason why PC people are sometimes doing this is because I, the player, don't always know what a man with forensics would do in a given situation. I and I can couch it in a way that's maybe a bit less jarring to the narrative. I can say, you know, what does my keen detective sense of 30 years on the force tell me about the crime scene? Well, I think the uh, a solution to that is you can ask, if your handler knows, you can ask your handler, okay, I would like to roll forensics. How could I say that? I think what I'd prefer in that event, what I would prefer is the player tell me what it is that they want to do, and then I'll tell them what skill they should roll. 
And then if they don't want to roll that skill, we can back and forth it a little bit. Well, that that determines what skill they want to roll. What if you know they want to roll forensics, but they don't know how they would... Well, why do they uh, want to roll forensics? Do they want to roll forensics because of a they're looking for a specific thing, or do they want to roll forensics because it's the highest skill they have on their character sheet? Uh, perhaps they they think it's right for the situation, but they don't know how to express it. If they it think it's right for the way. situation. Well, that's, okay, that's a good point. So there's a, a suggestion here that... I am going to make, but I think it's bad, but I just want to kind of dissect why it's bad. In theory, if somebody says, let's take the forensics example, someone who's not a forensic you know, scientist, but their character is, they come across a body and they're like, I feel like I should be able to do something here. You know, I've seen CSI, uh, so I want to roll forensics. So you could allow them to roll forensics and then based on their role, give them some sort of a hint of what they could roll forensics to do. You're getting into a roll to fail situation. But that is one way to sort of, I guess, penalize the laziness, but also keep the game going. Well, I don't think the the problem isn't that they're rolling the dice. The problem is that they aren't really communicating what the intent is for their dice roll. I think she's hit it on the head. Yeah, so I, I mean, I said it was a it's a it's a bad example or it's a bad solution, but it is a solution. It is a solution. I also think you know, in Lisa Del the Green. Uh, there tends to be, you know, one role for any given, you know, clue or solution or, you know, escape the room, or whatever. There's usually one role will do it. You don't normally see the level of dice rolling that you see in like a Dungeons and Dragons game. There's just a lot more checks being made. So you, and you, can, you can kind God of for forgive that, that in D&D. <laughs> it's the fifth time you've rolled sense trap or whatever. You're just like, all right, I'm just checking for traps. Dragon for traps, roll. You know what I mean. Whereas the Delta honestly, Green, you in D anD D, I narrative. wouldn't forgive that because that's that's boring and bad dungeon design. But that's another. It's yeah, for another segment. Whereas in Delta Green, you know, you only have you have less rolls overall, so you want to make them count. You don't want to just um, you don't want your one roll in that half hour block to be uh, yeah forensics. Oh, he was shot in the head. Okay. Well, again, we're kind of thinking, or we're moving past, like, one of the things that sets Delta Green apart from other RPGs is that, like, 90% of the time you don't need to roll the dice at all, right? Like, if you're not pressed for time, if there's no consequence for failing, then then why bother rolling the dice at all? You could instead say, you know, well, uh, every FBI agent has to go through, you know, a three-week course in the basics of forensic science, so can I look at this guy and try and figure out how he died? Related, I do have players who reflexively reach for the dice and just roll them, and that's because they come from playing Dini. And I, I understand. I make fun of them for it, but I understand it. I understand that you gotta, reflex. You gotta whip. You gotta whip that behavior. Out yeah, of we them. we got. I have to train them out of that. I'm still working on that. Yeah, Pavlovian condition that every time they roll dice, throw one at their head. Every time they roll dice, I bait and post. But do players respond to vocal commands? I don't know. I mean, maybe in the lizard brain. How do you get your players to stop digging? Down boy. Um, I mean, that actually, that's a good segment idea. This raises an interesting kind of kind of idea here. Um, if you're not going to make the players roll for it, if they say forensics, you can kind of tease out what they want from it. And then based on their skill, you can just give it to them in that back and forth conversation. Well, what are you trying to figure out? How, how did he die? Oh, it looks like a gunshot wound. Uh, well, what, what about it? Oh, it looks close range to the head or whatever. Yeah, what, what caliber, you know? 10 millimeter. He was killed by a grenade. The best dull, caliber. Dull, a gr- dull a grenade. <laughs> he was killed by a grenade. A 10 there's millimeter only... <laughs> is a grenade. <laughs> there's only one person in the world who uses 10 millimeter. It's dull. <laughs> Can we crowdsource, like, shaming Dole into stopping this no, 10 millimeter I w- meme? I would like the, if we could I crowdsource like shaming Dole into stopping anything, I would have done it by now. Listen, listen listeners. 
I'm cutting if you it. Like ten millimeter, put it in the comments. Actually, actually, that's actually, not going to be in the on, episode. Informal poll. Once this episode goes live, if you think ten millimeter is a meme caliber, tweet I'll, us. I'll tweet a poll. Uh, yeah, we'll put the poll on Twitter. And if you think ten ten millimeter is not a meme caliber, at ten millimeter retirement. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, get back on topic here, guys. One of the things that because I because I can be like like pretty mean to people when i run this game but one of the things that i try to do with that is like i'll i'll you know ask when players say stuff like this i'll ask you know like what what the hell is it you're trying to achieve here okay you use computer science on the power grid yeah on the power grid <laughs> well and and the question is not you know how do you use computer science in the power grid because clearly they're not going to know that because they're not you know a systems intrusion specialist uh but the question is what are you trying to do because that is how we get to um what actually happens, whether they even need to roll the dice, what scale it would be, etc. And that's something that uh, you can learn from lots of different types of games. You can learn that from like an investigative type game. Like I'm pretty sure it's in the GMing advice for like Gumshoe. I want to say, based on what you guys have said, it's probably also in the manual for like Apocalypse World. Yeah, uh, in Apocalypse World, it just says to do it, do it. And if your if your players like if they use the name of one of the moves, like one of the moves is go aggro. If they're like, I'm going to go aggro on him, instead the uh, GM is just supposed to go, well, cool, what do you do? And if they're like, I go aggro on him, and well, cool, what do you do? Because they're asking for more specifics. Like, specificity is kind of the key here. Well, I don't necessarily always agree that you need to be specific about what you do. I need, to be, I need you to be specific about what you're trying to accomplish. Yeah, if intention, you're, right? Yeah, intention is an important thing. Because... Um, a lot of times it's just like a miscommunication about what the game world is, what the state of the game world is. That's absolutely true, yeah. You know, almost every role-playing game book you have out there has that section that like 90% of people skip over. It's like, what is a role-playing game? How to play a role-playing game? My players skip over the entire rulebook. Based. Look, I've no. been playing Dungeons & Dragons since, you know, the early days. So I don't need a rule book telling me how to play my game. Well, what I was getting at with that is that, like, there's so many of the the examples in there of, you know, of the back and forth conversation that takes place between GMs. And that's in, like, almost every role playing book you'll ever come I across. L- I love those example of play things. I read those things so much because they're just, they're just nice. I just like them. Really? I l- that, uh, that's like the exact opposite of how I thought everyone was, so please explain this to me. I don't I'm know. There's, know. Ju- it, there's just something about reading the example of play that's interesting, and it gives, sometimes it gives me ideas of what I want my players to do in a game. Dole, what's, what's an example of a good um, example of play section? Uh, definitely, definitely the one in the Delta Green Quick Start and Handler's Guide. I'll... You know what's you know what's really interesting about those is that they're not presented in a as a format of like a dialogue between the GM and the player. It's just it's like third person almost. Yeah, it's just Douglas goes into the cult building and throws a grenade and he shoots a guy. Oh no, that's that's not the one I'm talking about. It's not because I know the I know handbook. It's in the Handler's Guide and the Quick Start Guide. Here's kind of a follow up question. So I think we all kind of agree that saying. I roll firearms at the enemies, mostly, maybe not lazy, but just isn't inductive to great gameplay. So is it any different when every round of combat is just, I shoot at the guy, I shoot at the guy, I shoot at the guy? I mean, that, that was that was my initial defense of people saying, I try to persuade him, because it's something that has always 
Like this has always been a thing where the original, very very old school. I don't want. I want to say like pre basic O D and D. Maybe Arneson. I don't remember. I don't know like the fine grain taxonomy of the editions. Didn't have like much in the way of social skills. You had a reaction role that you got from charisma, but you didn't have like a persuade or whatever. That was on you to talk to people. And uh, that I guess the I guess the counter to that the counterforce was always why is it that hitting someone with a with a sword is a skill, but this other thing is a player skill. So that was always the that was always the tension was what is a player what is respon- what is the player responsible for generating versus what is the character assumed to be good at through the mechanics. Well, I mean, here's here's the solution to that. Just make everything a LARP and then you're only as good as you are in real life, huh? Fireball, fireball, fireball. So so when you play Delta Green um at the gaming table, then there's that moment where you're like, "All right, time to to write your dexterity down, and then you pull out a gun and you shoot the handler. <laughs> Sounds like a real melon bread. We, we, we already did this joke. You can do it again. It's fine. It's a good joke. So uh, what I'm saying is that I I understand why people want to be more minimalistic in their descriptions of how they interact with the game world, given that there, we have this idea that some things should be requiring more description than others. But then why is that? Why is why is it acceptable in combat to say I shoot him? You know, and I mean, how descriptive can or how in depth can you get within like firearms without it being like bad or opposed to like an investigative skill? You know, yeah, you hit that wall real fast with guns and combat stuff. We had this conversation because specifically it was about how much um, narration you should give to each interaction. Like if I fire a gun at someone and my character hits or misses, do I have to sit there for 20 minutes listening to the description of the reason that I missed the shot? Or can we let the next guy in line play the game already? Platter, you only uh, realize hit or, it. hit or miss i, I guess yes. you never miss huh everyone takes a turn in combat right so it's a matter of like waiting until it's your turn a lot of the time so you want to keep it short so people don't actually uh pull out a gun in real life and blow their brains out because it's that boring whereas opposed to um if you're doing an investigation right if you're uh talking to somebody and you want to know the information that they have uh i i have pretty high human can i kind of get a general sense of like what is his demeanor is telling me like what's his body language say and then the the conversation goes on like that you know funny you should bring that up because human was one i remember people specifically objected to well i mean the the difference i'm getting at here is between going i roll human is he lying as opposed to like well what's his body language telling me like what's you know he's is he blinking a lot is he looking up into the right like what does my training tell me about you know the way people behave when they're lying so i think it's also really important to as, as a handler be really cognizant of your players because if i was a brand new player to role playing games like this is my first time playing and every time i tried to and i had no clue what i was doing and every time i was like well all right i got the skill i want to use it the handler was like no tell me more about it you you know wh- what do you want to do i'd be like man this sucks so i think that's an outlier but just be cognizant of that fact don't 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 make it so negative it'd be like yeah cool um is there anything specific you want to find out if not i can give you something you know that comes up more than anything is um i have this memory of um i think it was pathfinder but I've, i've seen this with lots of different games where um there's like stuff where you use um like a social skill or whatever to interact with the characters in the game world. But sometimes the guy like lets you roll dice. And then sometimes the guy like just reacts based on how he personally perceives your character talking. So like one person will try to talk to an NPC and they'll get shut down almost immediately. And then the the next guy talks to him and he gets the persuade check. And that 
always pissed me off because like why is it that the exact same interaction with the skill that I one of the few skills I have because it's because a fucking cleric he gets like two points two skill points per level and I can't do this one thing. I think you can also after a couple back and forth say all right you know you're you're engaged with that what is everybody else doing and then let someone else find a clue that drives the narrative and then drywall guy will realize that oh you just found you know a, sm- a literal smoking gun let's focus on that now so you're not shutting him down you're just saying oh cool cool you're gonna check that out what does everybody else want to do you know give someone else a chance and then roll from there it's good uh that that's a good way to handle it and address that so we uh as as we are up to do we have given a lot of advice for handlers but i think so far as uh correct me if i'm wrong the only advice you've given for players is just try to be more descriptive in how you want to do things but is there more advice there what about like can we can we tie this into playing to lift or helping each other out convey your intentions to the handler instead of saying you know uh, we, we gave a couple examples already instead of it being uh, i've got good forensics what do i what do i know you can look for things like was this person killed by a human or like do i recognize what killed this thing is it or instead of i, I roll human is he lying like well what does his behavior tell me about this you, you you have to communicate the intent of what you're looking for just be conscious of uh what you're saying and don't go too overboard to where your handler might get a little bit you know miffed about it uh i think definitely try to have fun with it when you're describing things put on the mind of an agent there's a lot of good advice in the tradecraft uh section of the agent's handbook for that kind of thing so So you're your advice for players is to read up and get more uh, get guess, good. tactically I'm not, minded. I'm not forcing them to. I'm just saying no, it's, it's a good idea. It's not a bad suggestion. Uh, if you're going to play a game about, you know, like modern forensic science investigative role play, it, it doesn't hurt to look up a couple extra things. This is an interesting rabbit hole to go down because in there's an adult Delta Green article where they're like they this was before I think it was other countdown or one of the other books put a tradecraft skill explicitly in the game. Um, but there was some some article I think on the old DG site or something where the guy said that um, we didn't put the tradecraft skill in the game because like that's a we think that's a, this is a player skill and he said that putting a tradecraft skill in the game would be like. Um, running a fantasy game and not expecting the players to recognize all the different kinds of elves. And that actually really pissed because me off. Because there's a skill like, that does that? Yeah, first of all, there's a skill that does that. Second of all, that's not the interesting part of the game. Like, the recognizing of the elves is the is the bullshit part. One of the things I wanted to mention is uh, a lot of times multiple players either want to make the same roll because they all want uh, to roll alertness or whatever. And in that case, you know, you just take the better roll. But a place where, as a player, you can kind of help somebody out who may be struggling with how to explain why they want a human. If you have a better human, or if you're going to maybe assist them with it, come at it from an angle where you, uh, again, kind of like play the lift. So if somebody, if, if your forensic scientist is struggling and you're you're the you're the FBI agent, you can be like, hey man, you remember the you know remember you know Doctor Zhivago taught that course in you know close up you know gunshot wounds. You know what do you remember from that course? I'm just kind of prompt on that way. Well. Dr. Shivago, wouldn't that be demolitions then? Knowing how to love the bomb? No, what? Yeah, no, you that's, fucking that's Dr. Strange Strange love. love. What I'm trying to say here is if you feel like, or if you are a veteran or have a great repertoire of, of amazing ways to use skills and one of your other players is struggling, you know, don't steal the spotlight. You know, put help, lift them up a little bit and help them make a better case for their role or their skill. So you're saying like if a player has knowledge that's relevant to the game role you should encourage other players to do something a certain way without taking 
get all like hog in the spotlight. Well, it's interesting because I recall we published an episode recently where I said to do that, and then I was told, no, actually, your character doesn't know anything about the plight of the Turkic Muslims in China. So where do no, we no, draw I mean, the distinction and what's the line? Human melon bread has eclectic tastes and thinks that every single other person should have these same tastes. I don't think that. I just think it would be nice if people didn't get really upset when I made pop culture references and then act like I'd fucking shot their child when I didn't recognize the ones they well, made. You know what they say. Are you saying your pop culture references are hit or miss? <laughs> exactly. Guess they never miss, huh? That was episode 15 of The Green Box. We hope you enjoyed it. If our conversation sparked any remarks or thoughts, we hope you reach out to us and tell us what's on your mind. You can find us on Facebook on The Green Box and on Twitter at 9mmretirement, which is also where you can find the poll we mentioned earlier in the episode. You can join us on the Night at the Opera Discord, the link which can be found on the Night at the Opera subreddit, all one word. Thanks for listening, and until next time, stay frosty.